Hello again, I'm Tony Payne and welcome to another edition of The Painful Truth, a partner-only edition this week sent out just to those of you who are on the subscriber list. And a special thank you for, for being on that list, for taking the trouble to subscribe and for contributing those few dollars a month that helps The Painful Truth keep going and supports my wider writing ministry as well. I really do appreciate the support that you provide in doing that. I certainly recognize that it is a question of support rather than necessarily a, a really valuable transaction. You can certainly get lots of podcasts and newsletters and content all over the internet for free. Uh, so the fact that you're willing to chip in a few dollars a week to support me in doing this is really appreciated and I do appreciate it very much. So thank you. Today, our subject is singing and in particular, 10,000 reasons our songs are changing. It's a case of the worm turning, and oh, how the worm has turned. I remember a time, let's call it, say, 1985, when certain young music leaders, perhaps like me, could get a little frustrated with the tastes and sentiments of an older musical generation. Couldn't they see that the rah-rah British Empire vibe of hymns like At the Name of Jesus just belonged to another time? Or that, in general, the ponderous, stately hymns of our heritage with their neatly resolving cadences and their often third-rate Victorian poetry were really just not a suitable musical language for 1980s Australia? Couldn't we have some music that at least nodded in the general direction of contemporary conventions, even, admittedly, if they were the musical conventions of 10 years previously, since that's always about as close to contemporary that we Christians ever managed to get. And there was a gospel note to all of this, of course. It was for gospel reasons. We wanted songs in church that weren't musical stumbling blocks to the outsider and the newcomer. We wanted songs that said to them, we're not an antiquated culture club. In fact, we quite like Culture Club. Now, there's a little reference for a previous generation. If you don't know who Culture Club were, then you're of the younger generation, and that's what this whole column today is about. In any case, in particular, I think what was driving us was that we wanted to express the joy of the gospel and to sing in response to the gospel with songs that had some drive, that had some energy and tempo. And loud, enthusiastic Sunday night song sessions come back to the memory. I can still hear the rafters shaking as we belted out Ancient of Days and This, This is the Day, and even rocked up versions of Oh for a Thousand Tongues. Now, it's not as if we didn't also sing slower songs, slower, more contemplative songs, songs that had the notation worshipfully on the sheet music. We sang those as well. But we were a generation raised on rock and roll, and for us, joy and emotional authenticity in music almost always had a beat, a driving beat. For us, emotionally uplifting music was quite often fast. And this is still the case for me, I have to say, just as an aside. I still have a compilation playlist on the phone called Happy Songs, and I whack it on every now and then when I... I'm walking home from the train and just feel like a bit of emotional uplift. And there's songs like Mr. Blue Sky or Living Thing by ELO. Uh, the Boys Are Back in Town by Thin Lizzy. Uh, the old George Harrison song, What Is Life? No Secrets by The Angels. The Power of Love by Huey Lewis and the News and so on. They're all songs with uh, 
a fast driving emotional beat to them. But the worm has turned. The biter has been bit. Now I'm the older generation with the outdated musical tastes. And oh, how it hurts. Because for the generation coming up, the energetic, upbeat songs I love are cheesy and lame. Their songs are slower, more contemplative, more intense. A song that you can build and build and build. A song to close your eyes to. The slow, earnest power ballad is now king. And this is happening everywhere. And as I talk to different ministers and pastors and music people, this shift in musical taste to a younger generation that favours slower, more intense, more contemplative congregational songs is happening everywhere. And why is this? Why is this happening? Lots of reasons, I guess. 10,000 reasons, you might even say. Is it a broader musical culture thing? Is it just a case that our music has slowed down more generally over the past 30 years and we're kind of just catching up? Possibly, but I'm not sure this is the case. Certainly the last three decades have seen a move away from rock music being a dominant factor in our musical culture. But there's been an incredible proliferation of musical genres and subcultures. One of the features of today's musical culture is that there is no one popular mass musical culture. I remember having a deep conversation with one of my teenage son's friends about the differences between death metal, doom metal, speed metal and thrash metal, all of which he left behind in favour of prog metal. In other words, it's not as if the earnest power ballad is now the dominant musical genre of our society in a way that it wasn't. 30 years ago, because there is no one dominant genre. Certainly, as I said, I think rock has waned enormously as a cultural factor. It's just not a thing, says my very musically aware 26-year-old son. And that could well have influenced a shift away from energetic, up-tempo, rock-influenced music uh, as a popular thing. Who knows? I wonder, too, if it's a cultural mood thing. That's possible, too. Is the generation coming through just a bit more sensitive, a bit more bruised, more ironic, more emotionally expressive, more in touch with their emotions, or any or all of the above? Is life for them a bit more in a minor key? Well, perhaps that's true. It's very hard to say, of course, whether that's true generationally. And I certainly find it hard to say because I'm part of that generation that puts no store whatsoever in sweeping generalizations about the generations. But whatever complex cultural and musical reasons might be lying behind it, there's no avoiding the fact that the change is happening and that generational changes in taste and sensibility and vibe do happen and can't be avoided. And for the sake of the gospel, our singing in church will need to adapt accordingly just as we needed to do in the 80s and in every decade since, including that time when we went all Coldplay. And so the time is coming, no doubt, certainly it's not too far in the future, when there'll still be four songs on Sunday morning, three of them slow and earnest, and one of them happy and upbeat for the old people. And so this must be. But I do want to sound a note of theological... Unease, I guess you could say. 
the rise of the emotionally intense power ballad has also been driven by the slow, invisible victory of a charismatic theology of music in many of our churches. It's a victory won not by argument, but by the music itself and by its power. This theology says, in essence, that the function of music in church, and its music, not just singing, that its function is to foster a certain experience, uh, to foster a heightened state of feeling and engagement and consciousness that serves as a way for us to connect with God. Music can tune my heart to sing thy praise, as the old hymn goes. And what we take that to mean, I'm not sure what it means in the original, but what we take that to mean is that music warms us up uh, emotionally. It gets us into a state of feeling where all of this in church matters to me and feels authentic and real and I can connect with God at a deeper personal level and worship him. That being one of the main reasons, after all, that I'm coming to church. And the earnest power ballad, slow, building, emotionally intense, is the genre of choice for achieving this. And it does it very well, especially if you dim the lights. It's music designed, in other words, to mediate a particular experience. An experience that is seen to be spiritual and worshipful. It's music to sway to. Now, i am been known to sway a bit myself from time to time, especially when I stand up quickly. But I don't want our theology to be swayed. And I'm worried that singing will sway our theology much more effectively than argument ever will. As evangelicals, our theology of church and spirituality, what true spirituality is, what worship is, the function of singing how we come to know God, how we relate to him, how we really connect with him. All this is much different from the theology I've just described. Singing for us is a form of speech, a speech to one another and to God. It's a more emotionally charged form of speech. That's why it's so enjoyable and so wonderful. But it's speech nevertheless, and it's one facet of the word-based personal relationship we have with God and with one another. Singing isn't there to create an atmosphere. It's not there to make me feel a certain way, a certain feeling that we might mistake for spiritual experience. Singing is a way of addressing one another, as Paul says in Ephesians, with psalms, hymns and spiritual songs, even as in our hearts we also address God. I guess what I'm saying is that generational changes in taste and vibe and musical sensibility are good and necessary and completely unavoidable, nor should we try to avoid them. To keep changing our musical genres and tastes and sensibilities to fit in with our culture and not be a stumbling block to culture as people come to visit us, these are good things. They must increase, the new generation. We must decrease, and that's how it should be and will be. But I do have this sinking feeling that the rise of slow, earnest congregational songs also marks the rise of a different understanding of church and singing. And we need to be aware of this and to actively resist it. We don't want to build our musical culture on theological sand. We want to build it on the rock.
Well, I couldn't resist one final pun to round that little set of thoughts off. What do you think? Is this happening where you are? Are the younger people wanting slower, more earnest songs, while the Sunday morning congregation of 50-plus people actually want songs to be quicker and more happy and upbeat? I'd be interested in your thoughts and observations and why you think this is happening and how you're responding to those things happening where you are. Another interesting trend in congregational songs that I've noticed recently, songs written over the past 10 to 15 years, I'm always fascinated by how many of them are about singing. In song after song that keeps coming through now, when you get to the chorus, you've had verses one and two that have introduced some theme, and you get to the chorus, and the response in the chorus that, that the chorus calls for is to sing. So I will sing your praise forevermore, or we lift our voices to you, or and so we come to you to wonder and praise, and so we cry out and sing your holy name, and so on and so forth. Uh, those are sort of fictional examples, but you know the kind of song that I'm talking about. And that sort of chorus as the kind of climax and response uh, to the content of the song uh, is incredibly common. It's as if the purpose of the song is to enable singing, to motivate it, to lift it, to call on each other to do it, to cast singing as the classic response to the wonder of the gospel, to frame the climax of the song as us all entering into God's presence to sing to him because of what he's done or how great and good he is. I wonder why this is. I wonder why so many of our songs are about singing. Is it because the musicians who write these songs see praise and worship, praise and worship in the sense of singing songs together to God, as the highest and most important aspect of our relationship with God and our response to God? You've got to suspect so. I think it reflects an unspoken and probably unconscious theology of, of praise and worship and singing and what the Christian life is and how we relate to God that's not really evangelical and not really biblical. And so certainly where we are, I've developed a, a simple criterion for any new song that anyone suggests that we add to our congregational song list. I turn to the chorus. If the chorus is about singing or mentions singing or praise or worship, which in the context of the song all mean the same thing, well, I'm sorry, it doesn't make the cut. Well, there you go. That's probably enough about singing and music for this week. Thanks again for being here. Please get in touch and let me know what you think. Uh, either go across to the website and post a comment in the feed there or just send me an email uh, to tonyjpain at me.com and um, I'll interact with you. And if it's a really great email, I might even quote it and use it in next week's episode. Well, that's all for this week. I'm Tony Payne. Bye for now. Mm -hmm.